Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Radcast. Back in January we released an episode with Umi who was a British diagnostic radiologist who had gone out to work in Dubai. Now judging from the listener numbers this is an idea that many of you have been flirting with and of course I'm exhibit A in that respect. While Umi definitely sold us the quality of life perks of moving out there he did give the impression that the day job could be a little bit overwhelming at times and shortly after that episode Rahil got in touch to say that he'd moved out to Qatar from the UK to do intervention. And he had a completely different experience. So we were keen to get him on the podcast to give you guys another perspective. Yeah, great. Um, so I guess I'm surrounded by traitors on this one. We've got Jamie in Dubai and Rahil in Qatar. Um, let's see. I think Rahil's going to give us a nice, a quite a positive review of his experience and may tip me over the edge. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for joining us anyway. Um, can you uh, introduce yourself and give us maybe a bit of a rundown of your career? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Rahil Kasamali. Um, I went to medical school in Birmingham, so I started med school in 2003. Uh, I intercalated in anatomy at King's in between, um, and then I came back to Birmingham, finished my clinical years, graduated in 2009, and then I did uh, academic foundation years. Uh, and at that time, I wanted to be a surgeon, but it was actually a vascular surgeon who said to me that, don't do surgery, you're going to be a consultant in about 10 years and you're going to be a consultant probably for around 20 to 30 years and you need to look to the future uh, and he was the one who told me to look at radiology and to look at interventional radiology and uh, from then on I applied to radiology uh, did uh, my radiology training in Birmingham as well and then after ST5 I took my CCT and I did an interventional radiology fellowship in Melbourne in Australia uh, which was which was amazing one of the best years of my life then after I finished my fellowship, I did a few months of teleradiology there and then came back to a consultant post in a busy DGH in Birmingham where I worked for, I did a full-time job, but I squeezed that into three days. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, and then after two years, I uh, got this opportunity in Qatar and here I am. 10 sessions in three days. Yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> I always... in. <laughs> There were lots of opportunities when I was in Melbourne to stay on in Melbourne. And uh, and so we made the decision to come back to England. But I've always thought that my currency is time. So money will come and go, but you'll never get your time back. So when I was looking at jobs, uh, I was looking for a job with the best job plan. So I managed to do a job with three three-session days. So that was nine sessions. And then I used to get one session back for the on-call. So, uh, right. it, yeah, it, it, it worked out. But then I still ended up leaving, so it was... <laughs> <laughs> Were you doing diagnostics at that time, or was it IR? Uh, so I was doing a mixture of diagnostic and IR. So I used to do my... There we used to do three sessions of IR, and that was normally in the daytime. But I'd pick up some reporting in the evening, uh, because we used to have the acute lists running in the evening. So I'd pick up a couple of those, and yeah. that would make up the sessions. Mm. So uh, um, you said like you were, you were maybe there was a chance that you'd stay in Australia. Exactly. So when we went, when I went to Australia, um, myself and my wife and my daughter was born in Australia. We loved it out there. The weather was good. Melbourne as a city was amazing. The hospital setup was good and earnings for doctors is much better than the UK. But what I found was you're very far away. So the flight is 24 hours. The time difference is 12 hours. So even for example, to call my parents, I would have to call them mm. at 7 a.m. So it would be 7 p.m. in England. And what myself yeah. and my wife said was it would we could stay in Australia, but we're making a choice to 
have an amazing life, but detach slightly from family. And because mm. we just had our, our first child, we decided that actually we wanted to come back. But then when we came back, we thought we need to move again. But Australia's <laughs> too far. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, what was it about the uh, the um, wonderful UK working conditions that made you want to leave? So it was, I mean, my job was good. I can't complain about the job as such. Uh, I had a really good team, a really supportive team. It was my first consultant job. But the problem was, is you're in England, you're working very hard. And then at the end of the month, after you've paid your mortgage and you've uh, paid for school fees and everything else, it's very difficult to save. And then you're using your time to do extra work. So although I worked, I worked in the NHS Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but I was feeling I had to do extra work on the Monday and Tuesday to try and make mm. up my salary. And then it went against what I was trying to do to buy back time. So yeah. then I thought to myself, I, what I want is the best of both worlds. I want to be earning more. I also want more time with my family, more time to um, do things that, that I love. And that is what I was searching for, which in England, I think the, the money can be earned in private practice and teleradiology, but it's very difficult then to have time and money at the same time. And you have to then find that balance. Mm. It's a bit like your experience, isn't it, Jamie? That's, that was your most Yeah, exactly. I think you, you end up spending so much time time doing extra work and then when you realize what you get paid in return for that time that you spent it comes to the point where you just you just think this it's not even it's not worth it um exactly yeah I'd so, rather, so that's, I'd rather that's, have the time that's exactly where where i was i was i was using extra time i was doing some university work doing extra teleradiology and i was trying to build my private practice but all i was doing was eating into all the free time which i thought i wanted when i negotiated my job plan yeah mm. exactly did you so did you find that when you were when you were looking at options outside of the UK, um, what were the options like comparing diagnostic to intervention? Uh, so there's definitely more uh, diagnostic opportunities than intervention. <clears throat> so the way I set up, my wife is a headhunter recruiter, so she was telling me what I need to do on LinkedIn to set up uh, how I'm looking for these jobs, the different keywords. So we had outlined <laughs> uh, the Middle East as uh, as an option, and that that included. For example, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, all of these countries in this region. And, but there, and there were definitely more diagnostic opportunities because the majority of opportunities that come in this region are in private hospitals. And they want someone who does a bit of everything. Mm. And, uh, and then it's when the opportunity came in Qatar, which was slightly different because the healthcare system here is a public healthcare system. It's exactly like the NHS. Oh, wow. I so, didn't know that. Uh, yeah, so, so the, the healthcare system here, it's called Hamad Medical Corporation, but it's a copy, it's almost like a copy of the NHS, but the difference is it's better funded and it's better staffed. But everyone in the country gets free healthcare. So across the board, from the lowest worker all the way up to the sheikh comes into our hospital. But there's no um there's no income tax in Qatar, is there? So is it funded? By the state. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's funded by the state. So we have to get each person gets a health card, which is around £20 per year. And that's all you have. And then that entitles you to free healthcare. And then there are some charges, for example, for uh, prescriptions, some nominal charges. Uh, and there might be a small charge if you if you come in for an appointment. But overall, most things are, are free on that service. And that wow. includes they've got um, GPs as well. So there's a really large cohort of British GPs here. And they've set up a whole primary healthcare system 
again, very similar. I think it was modelled on the UK, actually. Oh, wow. And this system is functional, works well. Works, it works very well. So uh, I suppose the, the big difference here is the population is only 3 million, which in comparison, I think the UK is 66 or close to 70 million. So it's much easier to implement things. So from the start, mm. because it was much more mature. There's an electronic patient record. We have uh, access to all the patient's notes and imaging and everything from home. Uh, the, uh, so the systems in the hospital, because they were set up much later, are yeah. generally much better. And here, uh, I think it's one of the richest countries per capita. So although they do work within budgets, the budgets are much larger per capita <laughs> than, they, than they were in the UK. So uh, and, and so the, the number of nurses that we have, I remember in, in England, we might have uh, one or two nurses in the IR room. Well, here we've got multiple nurses, one in recovery. We've got a really big team you never feel like you're alone and even as uh, even as a group of consultants it's it's very nice wow. and at the same time you feel appreciated and you're doing good work and good cases and and, and everything that you want but then you're getting paid fairly for it so was that was the kind of the healthcare system one of your reasons for choosing qatar over other states in the gulf that, that's correct so i had uh, i had a few offers so when i started looking i had a, an offer from uh, saudi arabia uh, i had a few offers from the uae but all of those places were private healthcare systems where they wanted me to do a mixture of diagnostic. I remember in interviews, they were saying, oh, can you do neonatal imaging? And can you do gynae imaging? And can you do uh, you know, thyroid? And can you do a bit of intervention? It was very, very general. Well, mm -hmm. the job that I'm in at the moment, uh, each of the radiologists is, it's going to follow the American system slightly and that everyone is subspecialized. So we are the intervention team and pretty much everything with a needle we do. And then you have the body imaging team, you have the emergency imaging team, you have the neuroimaging team, the MSK team, and everyone just does what they what they do. So it's a very mm. subspecialist route, which is slightly down the, the American route in the radiology department. But that worked out well for me because you have still have good quality work. Because I'd only been a consultant for a couple of years and I wasn't ready to just go down the route of doing more straightforward IR procedures, like just biopsies and pick lines and things like that. I wanted still to do complex intervention and this job offered me that while still being away from the UK, but still being in a tertiary center set up. Interesting. What sort of IR do you do? What's your subspecialty? Um, so when I was in England, my subspecialty was, uh, I used to do a lot of renal access work uh, and I used to do a lot of the vascular and then nutrition work as well. But here, when we literally do everything with a needle so from a straightforward biopsy all the way up to uh, a tips or a complex uh, lower limb angiogram and angioplasty so now i consider myself a very general intervener and i've actually upskilled quite a lot since coming here so uh, when i was in england i think i had done lung biopsies as uh, a registrar but um, in our hospital the chest radiologist used to do lung biopsies um, here I do the lung biopsies and I had a really supportive team who helped me upskill in that uh, again with bone biopsies and bone ablations uh, I, I didn't do those in England but again I, I was mm. I upskilled in that um, and then even some of the more complex procedures here we have quite a big oncology hospital so I'm required to do quite a lot of oncology cases so for example on my list tomorrow I've got one transarterial chemoembolization one radioembolization. Wow. So we, so all of these oh, things, wow. uh, I've had to build more experience because I worked in a busy DGH, which mm. and it was the tertiary hospital that was doing those things. Well, here I've had to build up that experience. 
that already seems like a bit of a contrast to Umi because he was saying like um, you go to Dubai as the finished product you don't sort of progress when you're there um whereas you're presenting sort of picture that you've actually got a lot better since going out there maybe that's to do with sort of it being intervention and just getting more hands-on experience but um definitely seems like there's more maybe potential for growth yeah exactly so i would say public system exactly because it's a public healthcare system and here you have people living here from all sort like from all over the world so you've got a lot of people working from from India and the Indian subcontinent, a lot of people from Far East, like Philippines, from Nepal. So you get a lot of weird infectious diseases um, and uh, different pathologies that, that I didn't really see that much in England. And then there's a big Egyptian population which comes with uh, liver disease that we different to alcoholic liver disease that we don't that we don't see in the UK. Mm. And uh, so, so then we have all these different pathologies. And again, it's because it's one big tertiary hospital that's supplying the whole country and we're a team of uh, six interventional radiology consultants and we have three fellows plus residents but uh, that's supplying the whole country of, of three million while in England mm. I think uh, really? in yeah so, so we're six IR consultants and we we're the only IR service in the country wow. while in England I think the West Midlands had a similar population there must have been <laughs> 50 plus 50 plus <laughs> consultants in the West Midlands um, so that's why we have such a, a wide range of work to do. It's difficult to work out how the mass sort of um, works on that. Is it just, is the population generally healthier or? or yes. um So the population is much younger. So a lot of people come, the native population, so the Qatari population is only 300,000. And then everyone else who is here has come to work. So most of those people are mm. under the age of sixty. Mm. Uh, and if Quite you think, uh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> exactly, and and so so the uh, so then certain pathologies that you get in the older population we don't see as much. So that so there is a, a skewed population from uh, from that point of view. So and the other thing is that the specialities are not as well educated on IR as they are in in the UK. So we have to really work to get the referral. So the elective, mm. all the emergency cases will come, but the elective cases, things like fibroids and as a uterine artery embolization or prostate artery embolization, all these things we're working to get referrals and they're slowly coming through. But on the emergency side, it's very good. We set up a PE service in the last two years. We've set up a DVT service. So there's lots and lots of opportunities. Oh, nice. Do you have any of the sort of um, like key performance targets that, that people talk about in the private sector? Do you have so, a managers looking at those numbers or are you just kind of left to your own devices? No, so, so we're left to our own devices. So the working day is 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. here. But uh, the often, so the, the amount of patients they would book on our day, I think in England they used to book seven to eight cases, mixture of complex and straightforward. While here it's about probably around four or five cases a day. So the volume mm-hmm. is that what they would book and the expectation of us is, is a lot less. And normally by 2 p.m., everyone is winding down. So, uh, you know, you're home by like in England. I remember my list always used to overrun. So they, they would say you have to finish this many patients mm. a day. But here it kind of like it's getting towards 2 p.m. OK, we'll book that one tomorrow, tomorrow, unless it's <laughs> unless it's all the on call team will come and do it. Um, so that so from that point of view, lifestyle wise, I'm home by 3.30 p.m. every day. And then I can wow. take the kids for a swim or, uh, or you know, like do, do whatever you like because you have a no, whole another part to your day because you, you're home much earlier. Mm. So that's like 
four or five cases each, not four or five cases between the six of you? No. So, so we have the way the uh, it's set up. So, so Hamad Medical Corporation has multiple hospitals in the in the country, um, but in the in Doha, in the main city, which is where the majority of people live, they have it's called a medical city. So they have a few hospitals or multiple hospitals all within the same campus. So then we have the main hospital. Then there's a women's and ambulatory care hospital and a uh, cancer hospital. So our team of six are deployed across those. So we normally have two in the angio rooms at the main hospital, one in ultrasound and CT procedures, and then one at the cancer hospital and one at the ambulatory care hospital. Mm-hmm. And then our fellows are normally, there's three fellows, so they'll be placed a- across three of those sites. And then one person covers the on-call for seven days for all the emergencies, and you have a fellow with you who will take the calls and will join you for all the cases, and the fellows are excellent. So this fellow... Would that be a Qatari IR trainee or do you have international fellows? So in, in Qatar, they have a, like a registrar training program, they have a residency training program. So most of our fellows have come from within the program. So they've done their uh, five years of residency and then they would come onto the fellowship program. And actually three of the consultants that I work with came through the radiology training program and then joined as consultants so the the vision for the um the whole country and for the department is to train train their own i think the opportunity came came for me at a time when they when they needed someone so i was lucky to come in but uh but they're trying to train and bring people through which is which Mm. is their vision in general comparing your uk experience to to qatar what's the case mix like and, and the the resources that you have available to you so case mix, I would say, is uh, it, it's I compare the case mix in my hospital to a tertiary hospital in, in England. So where I was, the, the QE was the big tertiary hospital. Uh, I worked in another hospital called Heartlands, which was a, a busy DGH. So I compare my work mix to the tertiary hospital. But the difference is in that tertiary hospital, each person was subspecialized within IR. So some people were vascular intervenors. Some people were more hepatobiliary. Some people were more renal access. Well, here we have all of that case mix, but we have to do all of it. Mm. So that that's the right. um, that, that that's the the difference from that point of view. And do you do on you do on calls? Yeah, so we do on call. It's there's six consultants. We do a one in six on call, and it's every sixth week. So that week is it's it's awful. But then you have five weeks <laughs> of uh, you have five weeks of of respite after that, and you're coming home at three o'clock every day for the rest of the five weeks and then you have one week where it where it's it's not very good and the on-call is busy there's a lot of trauma here a lot of um complications like post-operative complications or also all the normal things that you would Mm. see on call we get but you're getting referrals from all the hospitals in the region and they all come into the main hospital so yeah a lot of phone calls and a lot of things to deal with and have you got a reg on call with you or are you kind of first on call for all the referrals yeah so we have a we have a fellow on call so they they take all the phone calls and then uh, the ones that need to be discussed with us, they will call and we can review the imaging from home. And then for any cases, it's most commonly it's a bleed overnight or a septic patient overnight, then we would go in and it would be mm. myself and the fellow. But if the fellow is quite senior and it's, uh, for example, a drain or an aprostomy, we might send them on their own. But if it's a bleed, then we'll always go for that. Mm. But I would say every week that I do on call, there's normally at least one or two bleeds during the week. Oh, wow. Do you know what it's... 
Do you know what it's like for the um, diagnostic radiologists out there? Is that are their working conditions similarly blissful? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so, the, the, so I have friends who are in. I had a friend who was in neuro here, and a friend who's in MSK. So it was actually the neuro one that told me when I called him, should I move to Qatar? And he said, I'm not going to explain anything. The answer is yes. That's all. Sort of <laughs> and, and, and that was the only advice. He's like, I don't want to go through the whole process. With you. I'm just going to just give you one answer. So everyone I know who's here, they um, they they enjoy the work. They but the challenge comes where if you're a general radiologist, if for example you're in England, you might do two subspecialities, or you might do a mixture of acute and um, and elective work, or you might do some procedures, some ultrasound. And if you want that kind of more general job, then here's not great. But if you mm. want to be a subspecialist radiologist, for example, you're MSK and you're happy to only do MSK or you're neuro and you're happy to only do neuro, then this is a very good place. But if you're more general, then you end up having to give up a subset of your skills. So for me, in my job, I don't have diagnostic as part of my job. And diagnostic was a big part of my uh, mm. part of my job in England. Mm. It's interesting how the public system seems to lend itself to specialization, whereas the private systems and some of the other Middle Eastern places, it seems like they really like generalists. So I wonder, I would have thought it'd be the other way around, but maybe from a sort of cost efficiency perspective, having generalists is, is more cost effective for, for a business. You can yeah, so put from, them to work in a more varied way. Exactly. So for, from a private system, when they start out, for example, if there's a new hospital, they only want to take on one or two radiologists and they want that to be covering everything well in a government system where you have uh, already have a flow of patients there's no shortage of patients they're doing multiple scans i'm not sure how they've got mm. not sure how many mri scanners i know there's it looks like there's multiple mri scanners there's numerous ct scanners across across the patch uh, so there's no shortage of imaging that's being done uh, and they uh, so the way they have this accreditation, which is linked to the US. And I don't know whether, because I think the system is slightly similar to the US where it's subspecialized and that's what they what they follow in the hospital. But now more and more, the private system's getting slightly more mature. I think because of the World Cup, they had mm. to build some, some more uh, private hospitals. So that's come in, in the pipeline. So um, just going back to actually finding your job out there, what was that process like? How did you go about it? Yeah, sure. So the process was, first of all, it's making the decision that uh, I wanted to live somewhere else. So that's, that's the first step. And then the second step was just changing my LinkedIn to be seeking jobs in the in the Middle East. And often you can add Did you that, have that banner and your profile open for work. Uh, I, can't remember what, I can't remember what I had on my profile, but I remember changing the profile I had of myself, what I'd written about myself. And I, in there I had... Uh, like put in seeking opportunities in the Middle East and right, okay. then recruiters started seeking me out so I started to get quite a few messages from recruiters and it's actually so did you uh, have that sorry did you have that open in your profile while you were working in an NHS hospital so I had written it in in the middle where someone wouldn't necessarily <laughs> read it but what my wife said to me is the keyword still pick that up so it's all apparently when the recruiters oh, are searching they look okay. for keywords so you have to hide it in there somewhere and then um, and, and they'll still find you. And then the yeah, then I started getting contacted by recruiters and I went to a few different interviews. I, I interviewed for a hospital in 
Saudi Arabia and I interviewed for another hospital in the UAE. And at one of those inter interviews, I met a recruiter who took my CV. And then one day he just said to me, there's an opportunity for an IR consultant in Qatar. Are you interested? And I said, yes. And the interview was the next day. And I didn't know anything. I hadn't had any time to, in, like, to learn about the healthcare system or anything. <laughs> I just went into this interview completely blind. and That's sometimes yeah. the best way because then it like, <laughs> gives you an excuse not to spend weeks preparing. Just go in, give it your best shot. Exactly. So, so then um, that, I, I went into that interview. It was a video phone call interview. And then, yeah, they gave me an offer a few days later. And then I did a bit of negotiation with them and then eventually accepted the offer. But then from accepting the offer to actually moving to Qatar was over a year. So there was oh, wow. over a year period in that period of time because COVID came and there were like, like some, some other issues. This generally is quite slow doing all the paperwork. So the whole process took a very long time. Uh, but then eventually I came here in October 2020, which was just in the middle of the pandemic. So I did kind of half of the pandemic in England and, and half out here. And then, uh, yeah, and then, then I've been working here ever since. What was the process like for getting licensed out there? So it's it's a lot of paperwork and the hospital guide you, but you still have to do everything yourself. So we had the first thing I had to do was something called data flow, which is where you have to take all of your certificates uh, that you've had. So your medical degree, your FRCR, um, your CCT certificate, any certificates that you have for qualifications. And then you have to uh, they call it a testing it. So you have to take, send it to the embassies and the commissions and get it all stamped. And then you send it over to this company called Dataflow and they verify whether those things are like official documents. Then that took probably one to two months. Then after that, you start your application for the medical license. So again, you have to upload all these documents. But the whole process is very slow. And then at one stage, they'll say, okay, no, we need this document. We need the transcripts from your university. And they're, they're always coming back and forth and getting all these documents. <laughs> mm. So you'll get guidance from the hospital along the way. But ultimately, everything I did was for myself, and it was the same for my fellowship. And I think that's different for what you had. I know I listened to the podcast, and they said that you had an onboarding person to go to Dubai. Is that, is that correct, Jeff? Yeah, so uh, I suppose the way I've done things is slightly different with not working for a hospital, working for a, a teleradiology company. But um, yeah, there was there was someone who was kind of a recruitment consultant, relocation consultant so um they were able to guide me through the whole process but yeah there's a lot of, a lot of paperwork involved with the visa stuff um and yeah it was quite a faff having to take pieces of paper to a lawyer in the uk to get them stamped and then you send them off and then they come back with another stamp on a photocopied version of it and yeah it's quite quite laborious doing all of that Exactly. Yeah. So that, that was a similar process I had to go through and it, it was taking time, but I had one goal. I just had to be here before the World Cup. That was it. <laughs> was, was Qatar, before the World Cup, I was happy. The uh, the paperwork could take as long as it needed. <laughs> and you made it, right? <laughs> I made it. I made it to 15 matches and oh all, the, all the England matches. And I was sitting behind the goal when Harry Kane blasted the ball over the, uh, over oh. the bar. But, um, just so they should have reminded me. That's yeah, just, I know, yeah. But, but it was good because you could still go to work, finish at three and still make it to two matches. The six o'clock and the uh, and the 10 o'clock match because all the stadiums are within an hour. Uh, furthest is more as an hour away. But some of them are within 20 minutes and you can drive there and park. Nice. Yeah, it's crazy. You've got like 15 world-class stadiums now and no one uses them, presumably. 
Exactly. So they've got the Asia Cup coming later this year, which is Asia's equivalent of the Euros. So that that's okay. the next time they'll be they'll be used. But otherwise, yeah, they're not they're not used that much. And the, wow. the final stadium was an eighty thousand seater stadium, um, <laughs> and I, I don't know that it's been used since. <laughs> wow. What was um, the atmosphere like for the World Cup? Uh, I thought the atmosphere was amazing. I think the mm. media in the UK kind of portrayed it as not that great. But everything was so well organized. All the stadiums were full. The atmosphere was really good. It was a slightly different, it was a more family friendly World Cup. So uh, I think the fact that there wasn't alcohol here put a certain subset of fans off and attracted mm. also a different subset of fans. But overall, the, the football was great. The stadiums were, were, were really nice. Everything was, was really efficient. I suppose the only difference was um, in the stadiums, there, there wasn't wasn't alcohol but then i don't know that that's something that i see in football stadiums all, all the mm. time anyway and yeah. i went to the brazil world cup and in that one the nearest stadium was a four-hour bus ride i remember going to see england costa rica from rio to Belo horizonte was four hours and for me oh. now i would drive 20 minutes to a stadium <laughs> and then finish one match and drive to the next stadium to watch the next <laughs> one. So, why's the next world cup are you gonna is this like your your thing going to world cups uh, so no, so I, I went to Brazil, and then this was my second one. The next one's in USA, Mexico, and Canada. So I don't mm-hmm. know whether I'll, I'll venture out because that that that's all, all quite far away. But we'll see when the time comes. <laughs> okay, so um, Umi was uh, very candid when we asked him about his overall remuneration package. Um, yeah. I think it worked out to like twenty grand a month, um, and like included things like accommodation um and other benefits um so can you give us like an idea of what people can expect to earn um maybe as an ir in the middle east rather than a diagnostic radiologist you don't need to be very specific but um yeah, no, the, a simple the, over or under so so for that i i looked at all the jobs in the region and uh, so ue salaries are definitely higher than other places in the region so for us we get um I'm, I earn, if you if you package it all together, it's in the region of about fifteen thousand pounds a month, mm-hmm. uh, and that is including. But the way they split it up is you have your base salary, then you either get housing directly from the hospital, so they will give you a villa or an apartment, or you can take a housing allowance and then you can go and find your own place. Then mm-hmm. they give you a contribution towards your kids' school fees, which for me it works out to about fifty percent of the kids' school fees. And then I get uh, business class flights home every year. But what they do is oh, they, wow. they call it ticket encashment. So they give you the money for that flight, but you don't have to book a business class flight. So uh, right. I know, yeah, so, so it ends up being quite a lot. So the way I think of it is I package all that money together and then it mm-hmm. would come out to around, around 15,000 a month, which is less than what you would get in the UAE. But then the, if you compare it to what you're getting in the NHS for Mm. a similar quality of work but less stress that that's mm-hmm. what i would compare it to so it's enough work to keep you skilled and happy but not so much work to get you stressed out um, and then you yeah. have much more time to to enjoy that and because qatar is a lot smaller there's less to spend your money on so my friends in the uae say you earn a lot more but you end up spending so much more because there are so <laughs> many more things to do <laughs> um, so so they still think that i save more than them even though we earn less what's your annual leave entitlement like so i've heard that's pretty good in qatar yeah so the annual leave is is amazing so we get 50 
it's called 50 calendar days. So you include the weekend in the middle, but it's still a lot. So you get 50 calendar days plus each Eid. So there's two Eids. You get 10 days for each Eid. Then you get another leave you get called... 10 days off for each Eid. 10 days off for each Eid. And that's not included in your annual leave. That's separate wow. to the annual leave. And then you cut... So one person will cover the on-call. So for us, we had to cover... For each Eid, we each covered two days on call. So you'd be on call for maybe one or two days during Eid and the rest of that time is off. And then, yeah, so then you get your 51 days and you're allowed to block that together. So I'm going home for four weeks this weekend. Mm. Do you have four weeks in a row off? And then you have this other leave called casual leave, which is just five random days, which you can take, for example, if you need to go to your kid's school for something or some other reason that you need to take last minute leave, that's called casual leave. And then you also get nine days of conference leave which is paid for for the conference and your flights and everything like that. So it ends wow. up, I think I was, I was trying to total it up before the <laughs> podcast. It works out to 75 plus days per year. So that's it's a lot of things. You're basically part-time. That, that's <laughs> yeah. that's it, insane. It's difficult to use it all. I, I was uh, trying to see, see yeah. how, where you can take all the leave. But that is, again, another nice thing because you can pretty much mm. every school holidays, I can take at least two weeks off and then four weeks in the summer. So you, there's lots of opportunities to mm. go on holiday with the family. And it, yeah, exactly. it is very well set up for a family. That, that's what I would say. If, if people have young families uh, and they, you know, they want that time, then, mm. then it's perfect. The, it's not as busy as, as, for example, Dubai, where you, you have much more to do, but it's a, it's a good place. Yeah. Dubai seems like the place for like... 20 to 30 year olds whereas Qatar may be a bit older the the, the family man or family woman sort of yeah so, so the way the way I describe it is if Dubai was London then Qatar is like Birmingham or Manchester or <laughs> Liverpool or Bristol so it's like that smaller town which mm. has everything that you need within driving distance but it's not a metropolis like London where you'll have like a thousand swanky restaurants and a thousand clubs and you know like it has everything right, that yeah, you need yeah. but just like maybe 10 or 15 or yeah. 20 of those mm. and i suppose it's because it is a central hub like it's very easy to go on yeah nice holidays from there um you have uh the world at your fingertips it, exactly so, so we've been focusing on traveling in this region and east because you're already halfway mm. to asia and africa so then if you want to go for example uh, my wife really wants to go to the maldives so i'm, I'm looking at that so she, that's a three-hour flight which when I was looking, I was like, I didn't realize it was so close, but it's only a three hour yeah. flight. And then cool. so all these places in the, in the far East, are, the flights are much closer. So it's much easier to do trips like that than it was from the UK. Mm. So, yeah. And then we also, you live, there's, there's a really nice bit. So I live on the beach. So if I was to walk outside, the beach is there. Uh, and then you have in the building, we have a swimming pool and tennis courts and everything like that. So it's almost like, because the weather is good and you live on the beach, mm. Uh, sometimes I think I live on holiday. I genuinely feel like that sometimes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So in, in terms of um, like the, the visa that you're there on uh, and kind of as, a, as an expat or immigrant, is it kind of like Dubai where if you stop working, then that's it, you know, you, you can't really stick around? Yeah, so, so at the moment, I'm what I call sponsored by the hospital. So the, the hospital sponsor me to be here and then they uh, i have what we call a residency permit and that is attached to the job that i have now if i were to lose the job then technically yes you would have to uh, you have to leave the country but then you have other people who are self-employed 
and there are options where you pay to have that residency permit and you, so you'll pay a company and they will employ you as part of that and then you could stay in the country so some people i know who are considering for example teleradiology options would do that option where they mm. pay for their visa every year to a company mm. who sponsors them and then they are self-employed so that that's there are options for that here but uh, for myself at the moment i'm sponsored by the hospital i'm employed by them and if that employment were to be terminated then technically yes i would have to uh, I'd have yeah to. Mm. So, so how long do you um envisage yourself staying in qatar um would you ever consider returning to the uk i, don't know, I always say to my wife it's when they kick me out but the, <laughs> the, it, it's difficult to say. I say at this stage in my life, my uh, my children are quite young. So I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And mm. I think for primary school, it, the schools are very good here. So I don't feel that there's a need to uh, move back. Now, we talked about career development before. So at the moment, clinically, I am developing. But uh, from a actually rising up a ladder, for example, leadership or education, there's not that much opportunity to do that here. So I don't know at what stage I will get frustrated with that and then might decide mm. to move on. Mm. Uh, but at the moment, I'm quite quite content. I'm still learning and developing from a clinical point of view. And I don't know at what stage that will plateau because people I've spoken to is when, you're, when you stop growing and learning, then sometimes mm. the, the happiness in your job is, is, is not necessarily there. So mm. I couldn't put a time on it but at the moment I'm content and I have no plans to leave. And is that because of your status as like an expat is that why there's a sort of maybe a, a limit to how far you can climb up the management ladder? Yeah so so the way it works here is they are trying to get their own people into the system and it's easier for them to rise up the leadership ladder. Mm -hmm. So if there are people who are uh, natives from Qatar who have studied, done medicine, done radiology or whatever speciality, then they are more likely to go into the leadership positions. Mm. And that's just something that you kind of come here accepting. So mm. I knew about that, that you're you're coming here and you're doing your job and there might be opportunities, but it's not as easy as in the NHS. So for example, in my first year and a half as consultant in the UK, I became the clinical lead for IR because the more senior guys wanted to develop the younger consultants as mm. leaders with the support of them behind you. While here, it's it's not necessarily like that. So I feel in the NHS, there was really good opportunities to move up the, either the leadership ladder or the education ladder or other things that you might want to do. And I just feel that that's not as easy here. It's not impossible, but mm. it's, it's not as easy here. And mm. that would probably be the thing that would... Uh, that would maybe change my perspective on the job but at the same time the country is is developing and expanding and you never know what's uh, what's on the horizon and that's something you just kind of accept as you say it's not a source of major frustration because no, the, no, the not, perks are so good uh, not at all uh, the uh, I, I kind of knew that before I came here so people I'd spoken to had told me this before and in some ways, I remember doing the extra jobs in the NHS. So I was the clinical tutor and the lead for IR. And I got an extra session for those. But I ended up doing a lot more work mm. than that session for those tasks. Yeah. And you don't really feel that. I didn't feel that appreciated for it. So now the way I see things is I am trying to develop myself on the side. 
So, for example, I do a lot of conference talks. I do some uh, mm. some home reporting, uh, doing some research, and all these things that will just build my personal profile in a slightly selfish way, rather than doing things for the hospital to build my profile. So it's so just a different way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah, build that sort of portfolio career side of things. Exactly. So pro- probably like you, Jamie, that I, I don't know what the opportunities are in how you are in teleradiology, but because you're maybe doing one specific job, you might then start doing things on the side that you enjoy. Or like, like for example, Radcast, you have time to do Radcast. Yeah. But uh, well, if you were doing another, for example, clinical director job or something like that, that might be taking up your time where you could be doing these sidekicks that, that are amazing and have a huge impact. You know, I'm sure lots and lots of people listen to this and benefit from this. And it's probably got a bigger footprint than maybe doing a, a leadership job in the NHS. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Uzi's already uh, on the management ladder. He's Yeah, no. <laughs> there are times when, yeah, you think that you are spinning too many plates. And um, it, to be honest, the idea of not being forced to do any management um, roles sounds amazing, actually. Um, whereas <laughs> in, the, in the UK, you kind of don't get a, don't get a choice. But um, yeah, we find time. And yeah, I think that was one of... Jamie, uh, not speaking for you, but one of your main motivations was to have a bit more time for these other. Yeah, other exactly. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when and then when you have that much more time, then you come up with with new ideas and you do lots of different mm-hmm. different things. So my my definition of success has has completely changed since I've been here. I said to someone the other day, my biggest achievement from last year was getting my three year old son to ride his bike without stabilizing <laughs> because I had the time to do that. Well, when I was in England. And I was doing yeah. this three sessions in a day. I'd get home after bedtime uh, and I'm you know, much fitter and we have help at home, which means that you don't have to do any chores. So I haven't, I don't think I've ironed a shirt in two years. Mm. And, <laughs> that, so these, these kind of things all, all make a massive difference to life yeah. alongside having a job that is quite similar to the NHS, but without the frustrations that were there in the NHS. Mm. So it sounds like you would highly recommend, um, moving to Qatar for UK radiologists? Yeah, I would say just do it. The only thing that I would uh, say is they should be ready to be a subspecialist. So if they're happy to stay in a a subspecialist job and they should be aware that maybe the remuneration packages are better in other areas of the Middle East, but the lifestyle here is, is very good. And yeah, if someone has a young family, then I would, uh, I would highly recommend it. But at the same time, when I was living in Australia, I would highly recommend Australia as well. The only <laughs> downside of Australia was the distance to home. Yeah. That, that if, was you the could put, if you could place Australia where Qatar is on the map, then I suppose that would be the dream, right? Yeah, exactly. Because what, what you miss here is nature. So I miss having trees and hills mm. and like, all the beautiful things that, that, that you see in the UK. While here, it, it literally is desert. Uh, as you drive out of the city <laughs> and then beach there's, there's uh, no there's i think it's one of the flattest countries in the world but there's there's very little nature here so whenever uh, we travel yeah. whenever we go on holiday the one thing i crave is mm-hmm. uh, something natural but at the yeah, same time yeah. you get to swim in the sea like two or three times a week which which is nice as well so there's there's always a balance but mm. i what i would say is i never i was concerned about leaving england uh, and i wasn't sure how it would be and I thought the risk was low because my kids were young. But since I've been here, I've never looked back. And mm. there's, at the moment, I would have to really be 
forced to move back. And even if I move back, I don't know whether I would go into an NHS job. I would have to think very carefully about what I did in England. Yeah, no, I completely appreciate that. I mean, I've only been here a couple of months and yeah, comparing comparing kind of life now to life previously, I can't I can't see myself being able to go back to living the way that I was living. Yeah. So it's, and it's important for everyone to know because I thought England we obviously uh, we trained the school training everything was was from the UK but then the problem is the system didn't really look after you and I think at some stage you have to start thinking about yourself mm. and your family and what you really want from life and then when you start thinking about those things you can then make a plan for all these things so I remember uh, I think in I've got my notebook from about five years ago and I'd written I want to live near the beach and I want to live somewhere hot and I want to earn X amount per month and all these things. And I could never see how that would happen. But actually, in this mm. package, all of those things have, have come together in a, in a weird way because I had, had kind of thought about these things before. Mm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, well, yeah, that's uh, everything we wanted to cover. So it's been a really great chat. Um, thank you for giving us a nice balanced picture and um, sort of an experience of contrast with Umi's so people can make up their own minds. Um, and it's also good to get the sort of IR perspective because that's kind of neglected when um, you think about the sort of radiology global nomad lifestyle. Um, exactly. So, yeah, yeah I, w- I would definitely recommend IRs looking at government hospitals over the private hospitals if they want to maintain a high quality of IR. That's the other thing that I would say to mm. IRs who are thinking of moving mm. to the region, that they should look at, specifically look at the profile of work and the cases that are being done prior to uh, taking up a job in the region because they might move somewhere and then find that they're only doing very basic interventions. And I feel in intervention, you could get de-skilled quite quickly if you're not yeah. doing um, good procedures. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for getting me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, keep up keep up the great work with the podcast. So I'll still be listening in my car if, if, um, <laughs> if sports for like now when the season starts. <laughs> when the football season starts, I might slow down. But at the moment, there's no uh. football, so I'm catching up on all the episodes. <laughs> so thank you very much, guys. Thanks. No Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next month with another episode. And in the meantime, you can catch all of our previous episodes on the usual podcast platforms and at anchor.fm forward slash Ravcast. And for any other updates, in the meantime, you can check out our social media channels, so Radcast Academy on Twitter and Instagram. Bye. Goodbye.